sure as God made green apples, someday the Chicago Cubs are going to be in the World Series. And maybe sooner than we think. Here's the old line. This is going to be a tough play. Cubs fans, I am Sean Sears, and welcome to another episode of Locked On Cubs, part of the Locked On Network, your team every day. On today's episode, we are joined by Ryan Davis. You can find his recent work at Forbes Sports as well as uh, Cubs Insider, and you can follow him on Twitter, Ryan Q. Davis. Ryan, thanks for being on the show, man. Anytime, happy to return. Yeah, of course. So, um, on today's episode, as I was telling you here, I want to talk a little about the, I don't think the Players Union and, and MLB haven't come to an agreement yet, but they are discussing in a 67-page document, apparently, how they're going to be handling the medical and safety protocols uh, for this upcoming season, should we have one. Um, so obviously, we're, Ryan and I are going to break that down here today, and then there's a couple of quick uh, news bolts we want to hit on in the second segment. But Today's episode is brought to you in partnership with CubsInsider.com, actually. Uh, head to CubsInsider.com to listen to or read, of course, Ryan's recap, simulate seasons. I know what anything exciting happened this weekend, Ryan? Yeah, uh, in our simulated game on Sunday, uh, John Lester started and didn't pitch great, but uh, he made it into, I think, the sixth inning and hit the game-winning home run in the sixth. So... Oh, that's pretty cool. Hey, John Lester. There's, well, yeah. He, and if you go to Cubs Insider and check out that uh, recap, I have a highlight video of him hitting that home run. <laughs> I hope he pimps it. Um, <laughs> but head to CubsInsider.com for articles like that, as well as the winners and losers of the shortened season um, with the Cubs here that have not been put up there earlier today. But head to CubsInsider.com, official partner of Locked on Cubs. And you can get Locked on Cubs and all of your – Podcast-related apps like Google, Apple, Spotify, TuneIn apps, Stitcher, iHeartRadio. I don't know why I say all those apps and then say their names. Um, but <laughs> you can find us anywhere you listen to your podcast. Make sure you subscribe and leave a five-star review. And then make sure you follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Cubs. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean R. Sears. Follow Ryan at Ryan Q. Davis. And shout-out to all our Chicago sister stations, Lockdown Bulls, wrapping up the last dance, and Matt Peck and Jordan Malley, Lockdown Bears, not really much to talk about, kind of, but I think it was Robert Quinn's birthday, so I think that's a thing. You can listen to Roland Cox's uh, podcast of Lockdown Bulls, or Lockdown Bears, and then the White Sox and the Herp Lawrence and the Blackhawks with Jay Sawaski. So, now that we're done with all that, here in our first segment, Ryan, um, MLB's uh, Evan, or, yeah, Evan Dritlich and Ken Rosenthal reported, I think, earlier this week, or earlier last week that uh, the MLB has proposed a 67 page document uh, outlaying kind of how exactly baseball is going to be handling the safety, the protocol of how basically the season's going to go about. It's a very, very detailed document, obviously 67 pages of how people are going to be sitting, how they're going to be transported, how they're going to be handling personnel, 
you know, on-field operations, travel, all of this comes into play. Stuff that I honestly like did not even think about. Uh, stuff like around the horn, like things you aren't going to be doing. Like it sounds like baseball is going to be throwing balls away that have been touched by multiple players. There's a lot to this. Um, <laughs> what did you make from all this news, Ryan? I mean, I guess it's not surprising. Um, it's just kind of nerve-wracking, at least in my opinion, to, to have something like Major League Baseball being in charge of something that could like really – I mean, if things go bad in sports, like that could really mess up the entire country. <laughs> Yeah, it's uh, the way I kind of thought about it is um, it would be like if the NBA came back and said, we're going to play basketball without jumping or the NFL said, we're going to play, you know, in pads like we normally do, but uh, no hitting at the offensive line and, you know, just two hand touch like that would be taking away instincts of players that I don't think you know, I don't think NBA players could play the game without jumping, you know, they, like their bodies are just trained to do it. And same for NFL, like, you know, those that guy running in to make the tackle, he's going to hit you just instinctively. So things like spitting and throwing the ball around the horn and, you know, that, that kind of thing with baseball um, and all the other little things that they, you know, would be changing, like no seeds and no gum and things like that. Like that's, that's hard to take away from these guys because it's so ingrained in how they play the game. Right. And just to kind of go over a quick bullet points of what baseball is not allowed to do. Uh, there's no exchange of lineup cards, uh, no new baseballs. Anytime a ball is put into play, touched by multiple players, it'll be thrown out. Players wearing masks except for on the field. So uh, anyone in the dugout, umpires, uh, I don't know. I think some of like the base umpires will be wearing masks. I don't know if you're going to have – Home plate umpires wearing masks is probably too much to ask for. Um, no standing within six feet of each other during God Bless America, six feet apart in the dugout. Um, as Ryan talked about at the beginning, like there's going to be people sitting in the stands behind the dugout. Um, there's just a lot changing. There's in terms of like travel, uh, they're discouraging players from using Uber and Lyft, obviously, but there's going to be basically a, a taxi car. Uh, delivering people back and forth. Um, there is just a lot of moving parts to this that I, I just didn't even consider. Like I knew this was going to be a comprehensive movement, but I mean, like we're already seeing it. I know like the the German soccer league, the Bundesliga already had a coach who went to a convenience store outside of their quarantine um, and is being forced to now test. He has to test negative two negative tests. I think before he can be allowed back to rejoin his quarantine team. Like, like I love baseball, but there's some guys in here that are, I mean, like Aubrey Huff type players who were just going to ignore this. And it's very scary to think that, you know, something as simple as that could really throw this all off, but I, there's just, it's so comprehensive. I'm just not confident baseball can do this. Uh, and we're already seeing some of the players kind of voice their opinions on that as well. So I don't know. I, um, I guess what was the most jarring thing to you so far, Ryan? Um, I think it's mostly that they said that they would be testing three times a week. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't see how you can do this safely testing that infrequently. And I think the most obvious reason is you can be um, like positive for the coronavirus for like up to 24 hours, or uh, I should say um, infected with the coronavirus for up to 24 hours before you would test positive. You, you could get a lot of false negatives 
in that first time period. So imagine if a guy, you know, goes and contracts it and then that next day he has to take that test and he, he has a negative and then there's still two or three days before he gets tested again. That means he's in the locker room for three or four days, just touching things, infecting his teammates, going out on the field and then potentially infecting uh, other teams that they might play. So yeah, uh, that's, that's kind of the scary thing is that you could have one guy get, you know, COVID-19 from any outside source and then bring it to the ballpark and infect all of his teammates. And then you have a situation where, you know, what does major league baseball do if that happens and somebody dies? Like that's, it's a morbid thought, but it, it's a very realistic possibility. Yeah, no, that's a hundred percent. That's, that's what you, I mean, that's like your, your nightmare, assuming that they come back and try and do this and a player because of, you know, testing not being quite where you need it to be causing issues like this so you, you don't want to see anyone die from something silly like this especially when like at the end of the day like obviously baseball brings in tons of money jobs and and ultimately like you know helps bring something to the people in this moment um it, it's hard to risk all of that if someone does die from something silly like playing baseball games so i uh, i don't know it's uh <laughs> a lot to try and handle and honestly like I mean I baseball's never been the group that's ever been in my mind on top of anything it always feels like they're two steps behind and I'm just very nervous um, to see the way they handle this so um, some of the other things at least on the field changes um, all the rules are pending but uh, as we talked about lineup cars will be entered into an application all balls thrown out of play catchers are now permitted to step on the grass towards the mound to give signs to the infield if necessary uh, no spitting is permitted obviously all non-playing personnel are wearing masks at all times in the dugouts um, it's just going to look different I know like they're encouraging fielders to when the ball is not in play or moments of no play um, to step away from base runners if possible it's just going to look really awkward and like you said there's a lot of innate things that you're just not going to see like Javi being able to sneak in behind someone and try and pick someone off and the, the 2020 season that's probably not a play like you're going to see a lot, or at least you wouldn't think. I don't, you don't know. I mean, how closely are they going to follow these rules? Is someone going to get yelled at if they don't, you know, make this play? I don't know. There's, <laughs> I don't know. There's so much shenanigans that I, I just can't even account for here. But um, I guess overall, at least the positive is they're getting closer to baseball, I guess. Right. Like that's coming. Hopefully. If you want to be optimistic. Yes. Right. Um, I think the major thing, the kind of the elephant in the room for the podcast so far has been the money. Uh, we haven't brought that up yet. And I think that's it's coming. The, <laughs> it's, the, it's the main hurdle, uh, that they, that they, I don't, I don't know if they can clear that one and they've been pushing it off towards the end to try and get all the things that they can agree on out of the way. Right. Um, and I, I think that's an ownership ploy to put even more pressure publicly on the players that all the other things have been agreed to. Um, that's a, I mean, a hundred percent what my next segment was going to be uh, was about I mean, that. Well, exactly. We can, we can go, <laughs> no, no, no. We can go to that if you want. 
Yeah, no, let's jump to it. Let's, uh, let's talk about that. But honestly, like, I mean, the, 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 the money aspect is, is like you said, the biggest, biggest aspect of this whole negotiation. And like you were talking about, the owners are 100% trying to basically get little checkmark yeses as they're going across and other key issues um, and kind of roundabouting their way around this massive issue, which is that right now the players have already agreed to taking half their salary for the 2020 season. That's already been done and, and dealt with, but because of, uh, some honestly some BS verbiage um, the document that they signed is allowed to be revised at any point at some point that both sides aren't coming to a conclusive agreement that's working towards bringing baseball back which is just like the most ambiguous thing to include in a document and once again baseball signing this baseball players at least signing this just kills you because like god have we not learned our lesson um but, you know, different scenario, what have you, but you're, you're looking at this now, the players are now asking, or the owners are now asking the players to take significantly less money. Um, somewhere around, I think it was like, it was a rumored like 25% of what they would make, something like that, I think is a number. I don't know if you saw the exact figures on that. Um, last, the last one I saw, uh, which I think was two days ago, mm-hmm. was uh, a 52-48 split. Okay. Um, I don't remember if it dropped from there, but um, no, I think that's correct. I think I was reading something okay. else, but, um, yeah, um, and that's, I mean, that's a ton of money you're asking for. And it's like, you know, <laughs> the players are assuming a lot more risk. Um, we talked about this with Tony and Draghi yeah. last week, like the players are assuming all this risk. So I, I don't know what, uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on all this, Ryan? Well, I think it, to boil it down, it's, I think what the owners are asking for is unfair. Uh, and the reason is that, and and you just mentioned the players are taking all the risk. Not only are the players taking a massive amount of risk that they normally wouldn't be, uh, the owners are taking minimal risk, if any, uh, if they get the revenue split. And, you know, when you open a business, and this goes for a, a massive corporation or a baseball team or, you know, even a small business, um, the owner is only valuable to the business by taking risk. You know, sometimes if a restaurant opens, they won't make money. Uh, or a consistently profitable restaurant may have a year like this year where they take massive losses. And, you know, that business owner who owns that restaurant makes profit year after year and should be putting that money away for the years where they take losses because they know that if you're going to take losses one year out of every 10 years or every 20 years you're doing all right you're you're going to make a bunch of money the rest of the years and that's what baseball's done they've made a bunch of money every single year but what these billionaires do now because of interest rates in america not to go to become a you know an economic podcast but uh, (laughs) because because of what interest rates are and have been for the last 20 years they see assets as more valuable than cash because they appreciate at a greater rate. So they don't keep cash on hand. They just buy up more assets like the Ricketts when they're buying up Wrigleyville and uh, renovating Wrigley field and, and, you know, putting in the parking garage and all these different things. They're taking that money and quote unquote, putting it back into the team as they like to say by buying up areas around Wrigley field and, not keeping that cash liquid. So then you hit a year like 2020 where they're going to take projected $200 million in losses, which is what they say. Projected. Um, projected. 
they should have plenty of cash on hand to cover that from previous profitable years, but they don't. And that's how probably a lot of baseball teams are, is that they don't have cash on hand to cover their losses. And now they have to ask players to make some sort of concession. And it's, it's backwards. The players shouldn't be the ones taking the risk. The owners should be planning ahead for the risk that they may have to take. And obviously they didn't. Right. And it seems like just about every baseball team, as you were saying, operates like that because they're <laughs> collectively the owners are asking all the players to take less money. Um, and I, I, I've seen this. I know Jeff Passon floated the idea out there. Um, John Boy Media and Talking Baseball talked a little bit about it a few times now. Um, but the idea of maybe trying to do a deferred payments, um, essentially saying the, to the players, you know, hey, we'll, we'll get you this money at some point. We just can't do it right now and also put together a baseball season. And I think that's a reasonable request. Um, it would just have to see how do these deferments get paid out? Cause if it's over like a, a 48 month period, like th- that's ridiculous, <laughs> you know, or even longer, you know, I, I don't know, but like they have to figure out exactly how that payment schedule goes. When this money comes, is it still included into the 2021 season? What if a player leaves, you know, wh- wh- how does all that work? And obviously that's all, probably included in then some in a normal contract, but you know, it's a serious question you have to think about now, but um, what, what do you think about the idea of deferring payments? Do you think that gets the deal done or you think the players still want something a little more concrete? Uh, I think it could get the deal done if it came with an interest rate. Yeah. Um, I think that's I the know, biggest interest. Have, yeah. Yeah. I've worked um, full, my full-time position uh, is with the state of Illinois and um again, to become an economic political <laughs> podcast. But uh, in a previous round of negotiations, the former governor of Illinois um, denied contractual raises to um, the entire uh, workforce for the state. Um, and that was something they were legally, you know, had bargained collectively. Uh, and so eventually the courts determined that all the raises should go, you know, be what they were, but it was years later. So all that money that they owed all that time built up at a 7% interest rate for every worker. (laughs) And so you had some people who were due, you know, four years worth of raises in, you know, very highly educated positions, getting like 35 grand in a check uh, from the state in 2019 because of all the back pay and all the interest. So, yeah, I think uh, if they wanted to do, you know, pay them back over the next three years, you would have a certain amount of interest built up over that time. Now, if they decide that, Ooh, it's going to take longer and they need to push this down the road, more and more interest will build up. So it incentivizes the owners to get it paid off as quickly as possible while giving the players a reason to agree to the deal in the first place. Okay. And I, that, that makes sense. And this is also why I wanted to talk about this with you. Cause I knew you would be able to explain this a lot more eloquently uh, than, than I can, as I mispronounced the word eloquently. Um, uh, <laughs> but yeah, obviously like, I mean, this is, this is something that, that could be a game changer, but you, right. Like you said, like there has to be like obviously some type of incentive to the players. Cause what are they getting out of that besides assuming the risk and getting paid, but later you know, there has to be something more to gain yeah. there. And I, I, I'm sure that'll probably be the main negotiating part once they get to financially what they're going to be doing. Um, but I, I, I'm, I'm thinking for the player's sake here, at least like, I don't know, like uh, extension talks, probably like not a thing. You look at this like current Cubs roster, like how massive is an impact 
I'm asking the impacts is going to be on this 2020 season in the future for the Cubs. Like you look at all these guys we've, we've talked about nonstop that are need to either be resigned or let go, obviously in the next couple of years, um, you know, like do, do the Cubs have the money to do this? Can they do this? Is it like, what do other teams do? It's not like free agency is going to be popping. <laughs> you know, other teams are going to be hurting financially too. Right. Like do players just take, you know, the deals they can get teams offer deals. Like what's going to happen. Yeah. I'm, I, I think it's hard to know exactly what's going to happen with uh, free agency and um, you know, players that might be due extensions. I think there's going to be, you know, the way the American economy works when all this happens, there's kind of like a massive pause on a lot of spending uh, personally. And I think that's kind of what's going to happen is the owners are going to be kind of waiting and seeing what things look like, uh, especially with, you know, this happening right before, you know, after next season, there will be the new CBA negotiated. Right. I think there's, I think you might not see a lot of money spent in baseball until after that new deal happens and, and the owners and general managers can see what that's going to look like. Yeah. I, I think that's probably the move and what that means for the Cubs. Uh, they might honestly let guys walk and they've got the perfect reason to do it now. I mean, like the biggest scapegoat baseball has ever seen now at this point is going to be COVID over the next couple of years. Like teams are already trying to come up with reasons not to spend money and not be competitive. Now you've got this year, obviously it's a pretty morbid and kind of shitty way to go about it. But I mean, you know, have you, <laughs> let me introduce you to the owners of major league baseball. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of how things are going to probably shake out, which is, you know, kind of crappy for a guy like Javier Baez who like three months ago, we were like waiting on an extension for him and expecting it. And now it's kind of like, Hey man, <laughs> You'll be lucky if you get baseball. So I, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I want to talk about this before we jump to the second segment. Um, obviously, there's been talk with some of the players not wanting to play outright. I know Jason Stark wrote an article at The Athletic kind of outlining what that could look like. But guys like uh, like Mike Trout and, and Bryce Harper and, and Blake Snell specifically have come out and had their major concerns about the health and, and public safety of this game. And then there's guys like, I mean, two Cubs come off – the top of my head right now, Anthony Rizzo and John Lester, who have some type of like, you know, medical history and a background that could prevent them from playing in this, you know, Manford has come out and said that if players aren't going to be able to play, they're, you know, not going to force them. But as you and I were talking about before the show, like <laughs> says the option, either play in a, a, a game, they're not totally sure is safe in their mind at least, or um, retire. Right. <laughs> like those are the two options. Right, like temporarily retire and forfeit your salary, I think is like the only option if you don't want to, um, you know, go out and actually play games if everything is agreed on, which I think is still the next hurdle. But yeah, that's, and I imagine there will be players who have made a lot of money who maybe have, you know, underlying conditions that that you mentioned, you know, you have two cancer survivors and John Lester and Anthony Rizzo. Do they want to risk going and playing, especially after the amount of money each of them, you know, obviously Lester's made more than Rizzo, but both of them have made a lifetime's worth of money at this point um, and could walk away and never make another dime and probably be fine. So do those guys say, you know, maybe I'll just, you know, sit this one out. Um, it might be harder for Rizzo to do that than Lester. Yeah. Um, but, but from Lester's point of view, if he sits out an entire season and forfeits the last year of his contract with the Cubs, how much more money is he making 
in his career. Um, so, you know, again, he's probably sitting on a lot of money, but he's also thinking, is this my last chance for one last payday? So mm-hmm. there are a lot of variables for these guys. And I don't think anyone would could begrudge, you know, a guy like Mike Trout or Bryce Harper for saying, you know what, if you play that you play, but I'm just going to sit this one out. Yeah. I know Mike Trout was, um, he was, he was on an interview recently talking about, you know, like, Hey, my, my wife's supposed to be giving birth at some point in during the season. Like, what am I supposed to do and not go do that? Like, I'm obviously going to do that, but then what do I do when I come back? Do I just not play for two weeks, three weeks? Like that's a huge chunk of the season. Like, you know, <laughs> and he's Mike Trout, like he's kind of a big deal. So like he, he <laughs> like if they do have a season going on, the angels want him there. So like, I mean, I don't know. I also thought, you know, they, they were talking about going back to some of the travel and whatnot, like on the road, like players are going to be stuck in their hotel rooms, essentially, like food's going to be brought to them more than likely if they can, like how many of those guys are going to do that? You know what I mean? Like how many people are going to follow those rules and how many people are going to be motivated to play a game after you've spent, you know, a, a two, a two week road trip in hotels. I, I don't know. It's just, right. I, you wonder like how, I mean, obviously players are going to be self-motivated, um, especially in a shortened season. Um, you know, it could just take a small sample size to get you a big payday. Maybe, hopefully, maybe not, uh, maybe in the coming years, who knows? Um, but a shortened season, at least for like a, a minor league player, it could mean that, you know, maybe next year you're on the big league club officially, you know, those little things like that. So I'm sure players are motivated, but you know, it's for some of the veteran guys, like a John Lester, like, like you said, he's already got health conditions that he has to worry about. Like, does he want to spend the road or on the road in uh, his hotel room with his family? Probably not. I don't know. Is that viable? I, who knows? So like you said, a ton of variables and a ton of things that we just won't know until it happens. Yeah. And, and I think the other thing that you have to factor in is if you're taking all these precautions on the field, not, not letting two players touch the ball and et cetera, et cetera, that means you're probably not letting them fraternize among each other on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're basically locking them in their hotel rooms, kind of like, like you know, like they're just in cages and then you roll them out and put them on the field and don't let anybody interact with anybody else. Don't get too close. And you can't sit and talk in the clubhouse and all these other things. And yeah, I'm at the dugout, but what about the clubhouse? Like if you're keeping everybody Mm -hmm. spaced out in the dugout, how do you keep them like the visiting team at Wrigley? Yeah. (laughs) That's 100% what I was thinking. They finally did this year. Yeah. Yeah. they, They updated that I hadn't been in the cl- the visiting clubhouse last year. Um, but yeah, it, uh, I don't see how you, I mean, you, do that. you would have had to make like a satellite dugout at that, but there's no, like you can't use it. Like, I don't even know if you could put the manager in that in the, like the, like the manager office. It's like essentially a broom closet. Like, I don't, I don't know, whatever, right. but yeah, and, not something you have to worry and about. And how, how do you manage, how do you manage the media too? Because you can't control what the media does. I mean, I guess you can make rules and guidelines they have to follow or risk losing their press pass, but you know, you just, you, how do you, how do you manage that? I don't do know, man. Bubble wrap before you send them in. I like good luck telling Bruce Levine he can't get as close as he needs to for his recordings. Like, you know what I mean? Like that's, <laughs> <laughs> I swear I've never seen someone so good at ending up like exactly uh, where he wants to be. 
I'm surprised it hasn't it's like almost... turned into a meme or something. Like he's in every, like even like like uh, Scott Boris will talk and Bruce Levine of all people, Bruce Levine is on top of the man. <laughs> well, it's like not to go too far off here, but the for anyone who doesn't know, the Cubs uh, clubhouse is like a circle, mm-hmm. and you know the players are their lockers are like lining the outside walls, so depending on like who's coming in to actually speak to the media you could be on the wrong side of the room oh yeah or or like (laughs) you know even like kind of far away where like you got a bunch of other people beating you to the person so you're kind of on the outside reaching your recorder and so you can get audio but no matter what bruce levine is always like right on the inside in the center (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> of scrum of, of reporters and i have no idea how he does it i every time man every time i meant like the only reason i noticed nico horner was at uh wrigley one time uh the year before he got called up is because bruce levine was falling around this guy and i was like who is this person and then i like looked closer i was like oh my god <laughs> bruce levine is, is hounding nico horner <laughs> <laughs> so yeah <laughs> It's a talent. It's a skill. I guess when you've been in the league long enough, you just have that sixth sense, right? (laughs) Yeah, it's absolutely a skill, and I want to learn it from him. Yeah, teach us your ways, Bruce. Uh, We'll have to get him on the podcast sometime. Hopefully, he knows what podcasts are, but uh, we'll we'll teach him as we go. (laughs) But that'll do it here for our first segment here at Lockdown Cubs. We're going to jump to the second segment in a moment where we'll touch on a couple things, including Bruce Levine and his comments about Tom Ricketts, who uh, apparently told season ticket holders that only – that uh, 70% of the Cubs' revenue comes from game day operations, ticket sales, and fans in the stands. So – I don't know, uh, Tom, maybe don't use that model. But hey, what do I know? So we'll talk about that more in the second segment. <laughs> What's going on, Lockdown fans? I am Sean Sears. I'm the host of Lockdown Cubs, and I'm talking to you today about Built Bar. Um, they are actually one of the most tasty protein bars I've ever had in my life. Um, I am actually a former track runner, and I'm actually pretty familiar with a lot of different protein bars and I can honestly say I've never had a protein bar that tastes this good. I'm actually eating one right now for breakfast. Um, it is, as you can hear the wrapper here, Mint Brownie Delight. It's really good. It kind of tastes like a Thin Mint. Um, they're awesome, though. Best tasting protein bars I've ever had. But not only that, uh, they are one of the most healthy bars ever. They've got 20 grams of protein, which is pretty standard for most protein bars. But what's crazy is it's only 170 calories, 3 grams of sugar, sugar 3 grams of net carbs, uh, 15 grams of protein, and particularly this Mint Brownie bar that i'm eating right now it's awesome um i used to have it with like power bars like chunky bits and you know like grains is what it feels like sometimes and having to drink that down to get that aftertaste out of your mouth that doesn't happen with these these are delicious the only issue i have with them is i'm trying not to eat them all because i don't want to ingest 60 grams of protein from eating three or four of these bars but they are awesome perfect for workouts perfect for post pre-workout type stuff check them out right now if you head to BuiltBar.com, use the promo code LOCKDOWN and save yourself $10 off your first order. Once again, that's LOCKDOWN, L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. Save yourself $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Some of the best tasting bars on the market. Compare them to Cliff Bars. I'll tell you right now, they are healthy, healthier, better tasting, and ultimately, I just think a better bar. So check it out, BuiltBar.com. This podcast is sponsored by the audiobook edition of 24 Life Stories and Lessons from the Say Hey Kid. 
In this reflection and inspirational memoir, the legendary Willie Mays shares the inspirations and influences responsible for guiding him on and off the field. Widely regarded as the greatest all-around player in baseball history, the beloved Willie Mays offers people of all ages his lifetime of experience meeting challenges with positivity, integrity, and triumph. The special audiobook production includes a foreword read by Bob Costas and a bonus conversation with Willie Mays and the co-author, John Shea. Whether you miss seeing your favorite player on the field this season or are looking for the perfect Father's Day gift, 24 is the inspiring story of one of the sports fans' favorite living legends. Buy the audiobook edition of 24 now, wherever audiobooks are sold. All right, Cubs fans, welcome back. Here in the second segment, uh, the Cubs are apparently one of the... Uh, Bigger teams are one of the teams that is losing a good amount of money, reportedly $200 million, um, as Ryan and I talked about at the beginning of the segment. But Bruce Levine dropped an interesting tidbit on Twitter from the Cubs season ticket holder call with Tom Ricketts on it, telling uh, season ticket holders that obviously 70% of the Cubs' revenues, we talked about at the end of the first segment, comes from game day operations, ticket sales, and people sitting in the seats. And uh, <laughs> I just you – know, Maybe, but, you know, okay, uh, don't put a revenue model with that included in it. I don't know, whatever. Um, but he went on to say that half the season goes – or it, with gone, half the season gone, the Cubs have lost apparently 15% of their gross revenue that they would have taken with no fans. So, obviously, like, uh, this is – I mean, I don't believe Tom Ricketts. I, he's never going to show us the books. Like, that's never going to happen. Um, but I'm sure they're losing a good amount of money. Like, I'm, I'm sure that's happening. but. Like you were talking about in the first segment, like teams should probably be more prepared for this, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is you you have to have cash on hand for a season in which you may have to take a loss. And mm-hmm. for the Cubs, um, I think it would be hard to imagine when the last time they lost money was. Um, couldn't even put it into words, maybe the 94 strike. Um, last time they lost money, I don't know. Um, that's very true but like uh, it's just something they should have been prepared for um, in one way or another and it's unfortunate that they apparently are not Uh, it shows kind of a gross mismanagement of a business if you don't have enough cash on hand to survive one bad season especially when you're a team you're you know the the Ricketts family who's owned the team now for like 11 years um that's, that's crazy 10 years worth of oh. it's 10 10 years worth of making money and um you know the world series run and a couple deep playoff runs you know that's a lot of money for the franchise and they started their own tv network obviously bad timing but um still they had a you know at least a decent tv deal the last couple of years with comcast Sportsnet, and the others yeah so um, and they obviously like, yeah. I mean, they, they, they were able to revenue or renovate a good amount of Wrigley, the, the stadium itself, but right around it too. And they own a good amount of those places, including Joe Madden's restaurant, that Jenny's ice cream, that Starbucks that's there. They own those buildings. So like they obviously see some type of money from that, but you also talk about the hotel across the street. That's got a McDonald's in it, that Dottie and dash or whatever it is. Um, and then they've got, that was a big star taco or something like that. Those places are always packed with patio seating throughout last year. Like, the Chris Crindle market that was there over the, over the winter that's happened a couple of years now at Wrigley. Like they should have money for this. Like they've been commercializing the hell out of Wrigley field and Wrigleyville for the last half, uh, last decade that they've owned this team now. Like 
this was all supposed to be stuff that like, you know, you had other things generating money for the Cubs outside of baseball. That's not really happening. Um, but uh, some kind of good news, even though it's not really like anything different that we've heard, but apparently the Cubs and Marquee are confident that a deal with Comcast will come shortly after the new season is announced, which I, I think we all expected, but you know, it's, I understand now why Comcast hasn't signed a deal at this point throughout all this, but uh, you know, it's just kind of silly. We're even talking about this still. Yeah. The, that's the weirdest part about it all, all for the Cubs is the way this kind of reacts with the launch of marquee network it's been very strange um some of the some of the programming feels kind of like they've gone halfway um Mm -hmm. um, it just i think part of that is probably the pandemic making you know kind of round table talk shows all feel like around the horn yeah (laughs) (laughs) um, yeah i it just uh yeah it feels like feels like some of the programming is just missing like a little bit of heart and i think it's probably just because the cubs aren't actually playing games so they're all kind of doing what we're doing and talking about hypotheticals and uh, reminiscing about old games and yeah it's been i don't know it's just seemed kind of soulless for the start yeah very hollow i would agree um and it's tough to bring that across I guess when everyone's sitting in their living room on you know zoom like you and I are doing right now um but uh you know it's it's also like you know I I I get you know a lot of their probably their whatever their their content was based around the Cubs playing baseball and you know I don't think you ever go into making a tv network for a baseball team expecting baseball not to be a thing but you know I they're all doing the best. We're all trying our best, I guess. So, but I will say like, it has been like, I, I have watched, I have tuned in for a couple of the mystery games. Uh, Tony told me last week that he picked some of these games for this upcoming week. So um, some good ones hopefully are coming, but they had Jake or no, uh, no hitter on TV last week actually was kind of cool. The first one uh, against LA. So that mm-hmm. was neat. Um, but um, another note, bolt here quickly. Uh, the Cubs, uh, Cubs Insider actually put out uh, a cool article, the winner and losers of the shortened season. I wanted to ask you, is there really like, I mean, I guess there's some winners, but who is in your mind like a potential winner from the shortened season should they play baseball? Um, you know, I hadn't honestly thought about it, so I'd have to give it some thought. But um, a winner could be like the Houston Astros. <laughs> uh, getting away with yeah. playing their first first season after the cheating scandal without any fans and rules based on not being able to retaliate towards players or whatever the heck they, that rule was that Manfred yeah. like specifically aimed at people trying to throw at the Astros <laughs> <laughs> yeah so like yeah they um I mean I, they, I, I mean I guess I guess if you wanted to be a terrible human being maybe like Trevor Bauer would like just casually spit on all the players as they walk by when nobody's looking like, like I just, I mean, it just seems like that would be the big winner. If, uh, if you right. wanted to put it that way, I don't, I, I hadn't had a chance yet to read that list at Cubs insider, but uh, if you have it up, I'd love to know what Evan thought. Yeah, definitely. Well, he listed guys like Brendan Miller um, initially, and I think as well, uh, I'm trying to pull up there, five winners. So he has five winners and losers. So Steven Souza, I think these are losers. Okay, sorry, hold on. So his winners were Ian Miller, uh, Nico Horner, Brandon Morrow, Alec Mills, and uh, Brad Wick. 
um, which, okay. yeah, all guys that probably needed a little more time to get going or more opportunities or what have you, or like in Nico Horner's case or Ian Miller's case, like they're probably, they're going to, they're going to be on this team one way or another, whether it's like, you know, the, the taxi cart team or whether they're going to be a part of this expanded roster. Um, but he said the losers were John Lester, um, which, you know, makes sense. Chris Bryant also makes sense. Uh, Steven Souza, who uh, I think I feel like probably – he probably wins in this scenario. I feel like, and that's what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he is saying he wins because of the DH Rex brothers and Daniel Descalso. <laughs> but I think everyone loses with Daniel Descalso. Um, <laughs> um, Not even Daniel Descalso wins. Yeah. <laughs> even when he wins, he loses. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, it's interesting. I, um, I don't know if I, if I had to pick someone that's probably going to come out and, and, yeah, I guess you could say win this. It's probably like a guy like Nico Horner who is like on the bubble and is probably at this point, like a key, he's going to be on this team uh, more than likely. So yeah. he'll get a shot. So it's probably someone like that, but I mean like, yeah, I would say the winners of the shortened season is definitely the Houston Astros for a, not having like having the entire like world change after they just do like the get caught doing like the most like <laughs> infamous cheating scandal at this point we'll probably ever have in baseball. Um, and then also, you know, go into the 2020 season without having to play the first like two and a half months of the season. <laughs> like, oh my God. Like if ever were a team that didn't deserve to get off the hook that easily, it's them. But man, whatever. Yeah. I'm, I'm also thinking like, you know, Brandon Morrow makes sense. We don't know. <laughs> yeah. I've, been waiting, I've been waiting for like a report that Brandon Morrow had a setback at home on a Zoom. And <laughs> And and he's gonna have to wait like three or four more weeks before he throws again. Yeah, <laughs> like strained his strained his oblique like, changing from the remotes, so uh, he could get the universal, yeah. not the uh, the uh, surround sound remote. <laughs> yeah, it just seems like uh, that's a guy that if they were to start up spring training in you know like a month, he's a guy who should be able to go out there and throw by now. Like he's you, been you not throwing so. for. A, He's been not throwing for nearly two years at this point. <laughs> <laughs> not throwing like baseballs for two years. <laughs> yeah, legitimately, it was like July, mid-July of 2018. So we're like 22 months out. Oh, yeah. Um, He's, uh, his, they, uh, they made the announcement the first game I, I covered for NBC, which was the, the first Friday game after um, the, the All-Star breaks. So it was the first game coming back from it, and they – like <laughs> I didn't even know how to like report news at that point. And this guy comes in who I've never seen before. Everyone starts typing like stuff. And he's just like, yeah, uh, well, Brandy Morrell, he's, uh, he's not going to be, he's, he's not going to be playing. And we were going to put him on the, uh, the DL at the time. That was still the thing. And um, <laughs> you know, whatever. And he's just like talking super softly. And I'm just like, what? <laughs> Brandon Morrell's not playing. What's happening? <laughs> and, and like, everyone just like took that as like, all right, that's news. We're sending it out. Boom, boom, boom. I'm like looking at Tony. He's doing this. I'm just like, I don't know what's happening, but apparently Brandon Morrow isn't playing. And then he didn't play again forever. So <laughs> forever and forever <laughs> and ever. Oh, man. Yeah. It, it, it would be good for him. I would assume. Uh, Cause he's kind of on an even playing field. It, the other part of it is without, really doing any activity since he got shut down in spring training right know, two months ago you would think like if he's not ready to go by mid-june to start ramping up like everyone else then it's probably just not going to happen right yeah like, i mean at that point you just cut you cut your losses at that point right like anything he brings is is added like you don't just toss him out of your 
system likely, but like, yeah, he, he's a zero at that point in their mind. Right. Yeah. Like you, then, then you're asking him to get caught up to everybody else when you're already doing only half a season. And, you know, again, the idea that they shut him down in the middle of March, he in theory has done nothing since then. Um, if he can't take, you know, from middle of March to middle of June is three months. If he can't take three months and be ready to, to go, then it's just not happening. Nah, it, I hope he's okay. I hope we can see him pitch. He was really good when he did pitch, and that was fun to see. But, you know, I don't know. Maybe yeah, in I this think role, the worst thing. What were we saying? Yeah, I think, the, I think the worst thing is going to be finding out uh, that when he does get healthy and get out there, he's going to have some, you know, problematic issue like uh, diminished velocity or, <laughs> uh, you know, inability to throw strikes where we're just going to find out, oh, the reason, the reason he wasn't able to pitch for so long is because he's done. Yeah. <laughs> he wasn't supposed to do that and then he did it and now he's done. Um, yeah. Well, I hope for the best, probably not being very optimistic though. So um, last couple of questions here. Um, so the last day it's finished up uh, this weekend. It was awesome to see this. I know we talked about it for a little bit before the show started, but um, out of all the current Cubs players, who's the player you'd want to see the most in like a last dance type doc? Hmm. So, like, the Jordan of the the future Cubs last dance? I guess so, yeah. That or just, like, someone interesting you'd want to see, like a, like, a doc about, I guess. Hmm. This Cubs team. Yeah. I, there's, I guess. there's, like, two obvious ones that come to my head, I feel like. Yeah, I think, to me, if you're going to say two obvious ones, see, there, there's a difference between – like I, like I put it into two categories. If I sure. want just an interesting documentary about a, to see a guy who I think would be interested, mic'd up and uncensored, I'd want to hear from like Javier Baez or Anthony Rizzo. Yeah. But if I want to hear the behind the scenes on the most interesting behind the scenes guy, I think it's probably Chris Bryant because of all the trade stuff and the speculation about the, um, uh, extension, the fact that they didn't call him up at the end of 2014 when they called up Soler oh, yeah. and I didn't even think of that. Alcantara yeah. and uh, Baez, and then in 2015 waiting to call him up. I think there's a fantastic amount of behind the scenes for all that stuff that I would love to see get dragged out. But in just in a vacuum, Bryant himself is not as interesting to yeah. do a documentary about as like Baez or Rizzo, but that's kind of how I'd rank it. I, w- I want to hear the behind the scenes story about the Chris Bryant stuff. Yeah. That's definitely the most polarizing stuff I'd say for sure. Cause like there was no question, like he was the best third baseman <laughs> in the Cubs organization and he sat there for so long, but um, obviously Chris would be a really great story. I mean, just like the behind the scenes on like the Cubs drafting Bryant, like would be cool too. I know they like, <laughs> what like full like reconnaissance mode like trying to put out stories that they're they're going to draft more capel and all this stuff if they couldn't get a pal they're going to get the other guy and you know whatever the other arm that was there i forget who it was was john gray right yeah yeah john gray they're going to go after them so that'd be kind of cool but the the two names i thought of were uh 
probably uh, Lester and Rizzo just because of the, the cancer background and then fighting through that. I figured that'd be probably the most interesting documentary, but like as a player, yeah, I have Javi Baez and Anthony Rizzo put down there. So that's funny. You nailed them both, but um, <laughs> Javi's for sure. I think the guy I'd want to see just like his, like the whole background with him and his sister, like what he had to do to get there. Like that, it just like, him as a high schooler, it'd be fun to see what Javi Baez was like at like 15. <laughs> right. <laughs> and Javi Baez with the MLB tattoo as a teenager. Right. Uh, you know, how badly he struggled when he first got called up. I mean, it, just if you remember, he was playing nearly every day as kind of like the Cubs making a point to him, despite the fact that he was hitting like 150 and striking out of over 40% of the time, yeah. just like swinging at everything. And they kept throwing them out there. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting aspects. I just feel like um, as interesting as Baez's biography or documentary would be with his stuff with his sister and his struggle to get called up and kind of his rise to stardom and the way he plays, I think the Bryant stuff is so much more more salacious. Mm-hmm. And it would have people drooling like The Last Dance did because there's so much drama. Like my my wife could not give two craps about the 90s bulls she only remembers the 90s bulls as like the stuff her brother and her father were watching (laughs) but but she sat there and watched every single minute of all 10 episodes with me yeah because she was like entranced by the drama of like the scotty pippen stuff and the rodman stuff and then phil jackson and jordan like and jerry krause as the enemy and what the mm-hmm. hell is Jerry Reinsdorf doing? Yeah. <laughs> it was like so pulled into it. There's so many characters and so many angles. It's like if you wrote all of that as like a movie, it wouldn't be believable because right. it's too dramatic. Just like, I mean, just Jerry Krause alone as like a character. <laughs> it's just like hard <laughs> to even like, yeah, no, this guy was real and he said these things and <laughs> he said them with Michael Jordan it, on his team. <laughs> well, is, is it, uh, isn't the bad guy in Space Jam supposed to be yeah. Krause? <laughs> I always thought that. I, I've, I've always thought that. No one's ever confirmed it. But like to get Krause and then get Danny DeVito or like get this guy to you know, be this bad guy and then get Danny DeVito to play him. It's just like, what? <laughs> like, come on, man. As soon as Michael made that short joke to Krause about like the short pills thing, I was like, oh, dude. <laughs> this is definitely the villain from Space Jam. Like, no questions. <laughs> and what's funny is I know from reading previous stuff that Jordan said some pretty terrible things to Jerry Krause, but the uh, the documentary only caught him surprisingly being just kind of playful with him i thought like teasing him yeah i like did like the stuff that they showed the interactions between him and kraus none of it seemed like too mean-spirited it just seemed like he was making fun of the guy like you would a friend right so and i'm sure yeah. that's how like jordan in his head probably thinks it went down but obviously jerry kraus did like he obviously appreciates michael jordan but i don't think he liked the guy like <laughs> like i don't think they, they right. enjoyed each other's company ever so but yeah no and Krause seemed to they, I don't think they did a very good job explaining just what went wrong with the Krause Jackson relationship it couldn't possibly have just been that he felt Phil got too much of the you know the credit yeah. for like there had to have been something else that happened because it I mean it, it got down to like 
Phil, I don't know if you have, if you had a chance, if you read or saw that um, ESPN, the magazine in 98, Phil Jackson did like a kind of like a diary. Um, oh no. Chronicling as it went on and it went in four parts and there, and it's just like a, from beginning of the season to the end of the season, like a stream of consciousness from Phil, <laughs> like, like one paragraph, it's like, you know, we're eight and seven and doing this and this is going on in practice and this happened. And then like two paragraphs later, he's like, now we're 15 and nine. And then, you know, this is happening. And he just like walks you through all this stuff with like Rodman and the Pippen thing where he asked to be traded and Jordan seemed exhausted. Like he didn't want to come back. And like, it, it's just really interesting stuff. That's crazy. I, I'm definitely going to, I'm literally going to Google that as soon as we're done with this. Cause I want to read that, but um, damn. <laughs> Lisa last dance was fun. Hopefully we get baseball. Um, one final note here before we wrap up the show. Uh, Ryan, do you know who the last Cubs player was to throw a pitch in a season, I guess? Uh, ben Zobrist, right? Yeah. Yeah. He struck Striking out. Yadier. out. Mm. Yeah. And, and it, um, I realized that Miles um, Michaelis was the last pitcher to get a hit. Uh, I think I was there for that game covering, I think it was in St. Louis um, that he got that hit. And if they bring in the DH and it sticks, that could be your last pitcher to get a hit. Ooh. See, that's even more interesting than what I shared. See, this is why we bring you on the show. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I assume at some point, some some team would like lose their dh and have to bat the pitcher and the pitcher would hit and get a hit like that happens in the american league once every like five or six years right right team ends up losing their dh and um yeah so i I think it it eventually would come around or like you know uh maybe like one time when madison bumgarner is is pitching they just like forfeit the dh and let him hit and he cranks one like, yeah i was gonna say happen. him or like shohei yeah. otani or even like michael lorenzen right mm-hmm. yeah that they, they, i could see it happening with those guys so yeah it would change eventually but uh, it just be interesting that it, it could possibly be miles michaelis st louis cardinals um <laughs> last last pitcher to get a hit before the dh took over the entire league hey man it's like being uh it's like the last that trivia question who was on the mound for the Cubs when they won the World Series. <laughs> well, who knows? Yeah, right. At this point, <laughs> did that even happen? Um, <laughs> well, Brian, thanks for being on the show, man. It's always fun having you on. Uh, we'll have to obviously, we'll keep doing this. We'll keep bringing you on. I guess you passed the test. So, cool. seriously, seriously, thanks for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Um, make sure. Make sure you guys are subscribed to the show. Uh, Lockdown Cubs, that's this one. Um, <laughs> I'm going to do that again. Um, <laughs> remember to get the show over there, you need to subscribe to Lockdown Cubs on whatever podcast app you use, whether that's Google, Apple, Spotify, TuneIn app, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, um, Himalaya, wherever you find your podcast, make sure you subscribe, leave a five-star review. And then make sure you check out the latest episode of Lockdown MLB after the show, hosted by Paul Francis Sullivan. Just tell your smart device to play the recent episode of Lockdown MLB after this episode of Lockdown Cubs. And then make sure you follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Cubs. You can follow me on Twitter at Sean R. Sears. Make sure you follow Ryan on Twitter at Ryan Q. Davis and check out his latest work at Cubs Insider as well as for sports. Thanks for tuning into your guys' Daily Cubs podcast. Enjoy the rest of your day. And as always, go Cubs.